Well, again, I want to say thank you for being here today. I'm so glad uh, that you're looking great. And uh, uh, today my prayer is that our hearts would be open and that we'd be willing to hear the Holy Spirit. How many are saying the same thing? I want to hear what the Holy Spirit has for me today. Uh, The reason especially I want to do that is because today I believe that the stakes are really high. Um, Our enemy would love to mess with your life as we talk about uh, our topic today. The devil would love to see you give up on, to walk away from, to be filled with doubt or fear. He would love to see you break up or tarnish your witness all in regards to the thoughts of marriage. Marriage. Last week we kind of uh, talked about marriage uh, 101, and uh, this week Uh, I want to kind of bring a second look at marriage. Some have said that marriage is a laboratory of sanctification. It's a place where we get to work out our salvation, some would say with fear and trembling, right? (laughs) And uh, marriage is a lot of hard work. And last week, as we looked at a first look, we said that anything worth anything is worth the work. Anything that is worth anything is worth the work. It's kind of like the, uh, the whole idea, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, the reason it's greener is because they've watered it, and they've manicured it, and they've trimmed it up, and it looks good. And that's what we are called to do in our lives, in our marriages, to work hard. It also takes a right understanding. We said last week that a good marriage has nothing to do with what we get from our spouse, but a good marriage or a great marriage or a very good marriage comes from what we give our spouses instead. And that's not the understanding that a lot of us grew up with or that we understand from our culture, but it's what we give that makes the difference. So the most important question is not how can they meet my needs? How can they comfort me? How can they love me? How can they fill me or provide for me? Instead, we need to be asking, what can we give or what can I give? What am I reflecting? And we said last week we need to be reflecting Jesus full and abundant life, full of Jesus. We are called to imitate Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And that was the point last week, that we are reflecting His love. We reflect His forgiveness. We reflect His peace, His grace, His joy, the compassion that Jesus gives. We can reflect the faithfulness, the honoring, all these things will lead to success. And it's not what we give necessarily. It's what Christ is seeing through us to our spouses. So I believe without a shadow of doubt that a very good marriage is possible. How many believe that's true? I think it's true, but it flows out of personal abundance. And the only thing that we should be filled with is Jesus. And the more we reflect Jesus, we will fulfill our purpose. And so that was last week, and we said at the end of the message that we need to be the moon, right? The difference between the sun and the moon, the moon reflects. We are not the sun, but we need to be the moon. And uh, someone this week said, 
you know, hey, uh, I said, you know, for those that were married to moon your spouse, and uh, they said, what's next, pastor? Flashing, and I said, no, no, <laughs> we're going to stop there, but yes, we need to be the moon, and I believe that a very good marriage reflects God and God alone, amen? And that was marriage 101. All right, you weren't here, you just got it. All right, good, I like that. All right, very good. Well, today I want to look at a, a second, uh, second time on marriage, marriage 201, another step, another look, another perspective that I believe that can really challenge us. And again, I want to just uh, at the beginning here say that I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I understand that when we talk about marriage, uh, there are a lot of different situations that are represented in the seats here this morning. Uh, there may be some here that are happily married, and that's uh, fantastic. We want to just fan the flame. There may be others that are sitting, and it may look like you're happily married, but in reality, you are struggling in some way. There may be some here that have been broken uh, in marriage and, uh, and maybe are really, really in crisis, or maybe your marriage has ended and now you're single, or maybe you're here and you've been widowed and uh, you, are, you once had a great marriage and you're thinking, man, another message on marriage, uh, how can this relate? Well, listen, today what we're talking about will translate to any situation. Now, last week we talked of that marriage is in crisis. And we, we kind of looked at some divorce rates, uh, that they're not great across the board, but even in the church, they're not great, although they're slightly better for those that are actively involved in the church. And we also talked that, uh, that part of that reason is that marriage has all kinds of definitions. If I asked each and every one of us uh, to, to define what marriage is, and certainly if I walked away from these four walls and did a survey, let's say, at the Lakes Mall later today, we would hear lots and lots of definitions of what marriage is. Now, marriage as a topic, it's all over the map. Question, we need a question, what constitutes a marriage? Or what should a marriage look like? Or how do you get married? Or the idea of marriage in our culture. And what's crazy is that it's up for debate. Unfortunately, as adults, we complicate things sometimes, don't we? Perhaps we've learned, we can learn this morning from what a child would say about marriage. And so there was a survey done, some questions asked of kids. And Martin, age 10, was asked this. He said, he was asked, what do people do on a first date? And Martin, age 10, love this boy. He said this, well, on a first date, you tell a bunch of lies to get the other person interested enough so that you can go on a second date. How do you like that? Yeah, that's what Martin thought. <laughs> Anita, verse, uh, who is six years old, was asked, is it better to be single or married? The, the question of the ages, right? And she answered, well, it's better for girls to stay single. But boys, they need to get married because they need help. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Ricky, age 10, another 10-year-old, was asked this, how would you make your marriage work if it got in trouble? And I love this. He says, I would tell my wife that she is pretty even if she looked like a dump truck. <laughs> I love that. And maybe one more, one more. Lori, age eight, was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Hmm, good question. She thought about it for a second, and Lori, age eight, said, well, 
They both say they don't want any more kids. <laughs> kids, they say the darndest things, don't they? <laughs> but seriously, the topic of marriage is all over the map. That's the truth. Our culture would say that marriage is up for debate, that it's debatable. And, uh, and I say, debate? Really? And I would really encourage us as Christ followers, for those of you that believe in Jesus and uh, believe the Word of God, that the Bible really gives us a picture of what marriage is. And we are pro-Bible here at the Gateway Church. Amen to that? And the Bible, I believe, as you read it and understand it, it's pro-marriage. And because of that, by default, I, your pastor, I am pro-marriage. And so today, there, this debate or this controversy over marriage, we want to bring some clarity to that. But what's interesting is as you study time, as you study history, marriage has always been somewhat controversial. Even in Jesus' day, there was controversy around marriage. And I want to kind of explain here for a moment. In the first century, there were two Hebrew masters or gurus, or you might call them rabbis, two rabbis that emerged in Jesus' day with different opinions around marriage. One was from the Shemaiah group, and the other was Hillel. Now, the Shemaiah group, uh, they would cross their T's and dot their I's. They had a strict interpretation of the Jewish law, and they thought uh, there was way too much influence from the Romans. And so they were very, very clear. They wanted to follow to the letter of the law and uh, less popular. How many have heard of Shemaiah before? Maybe a couple of you. Well, Hillel was much more popular. In fact, in the office this week, I was just kind of sharing that back and forth through the, uh, kind of talking back in the office, and uh, Pastor Bobby's like, oh, hello, right? And it's more popular because he, and he was well known because he was more liberal. And so, Bobby, I'm not sure why you know it so much, but uh, no, he was much more liberal. And uh, there was one guy that was under, that studied under Hillel that emerged that was saying that you could divorce for just about any reason. You could, you could create a certificate of divorce for any reason at all, perhaps. And I was thinking about that. It would have given me license when I was first married. Uh, let me tell you, um, we were married for just a short time. My sister copied down a recipe uh, of my, one of my favorite dishes that my mom made. And uh, in that, it was a chicken dish, and uh, Jessica, you might remember, she's back there. She can verify this. Uh, she, she was looking at the recipe, and she's a you know, 20-year-old wife, and uh, we're just barely married. And uh, she said, I'm going to make one of Ben's favorite dishes that his mom made. So my sister sends the recipe, and now the recipe included in the ingredients, it should have been one teaspoon of salt. Some of you have heard this story before. I've shared it before. Instead, my sister, on accident, or maybe on purpose, (laughs) what? A quarter teaspoon was supposed to be. Instead, she put, it's a quarter cup of salt. (laughs) You know where I'm headed. When I sat down to dinner, I was so excited. After the first bite, I refused (laughs) to eat any more. Jessica could have, at that moment, she could have said, hey, 
if you're not going to eat it, I'm out of here. And Hillel would have said, no problem, you can divorce for any reason. I'm glad we didn't uh, adhere to that. But when Jesus was asked about marriage in the Gospels, and we're going to read that here momentarily in Matthew chapter 19, it's interesting that there was this debate about marriage. And each side that was represented when they asked Jesus this question uh, of, about divorce that we're going to read here momentarily, each of them wanted to hear what they believed themselves. Yes, they wanted to trick him and there was controversy, but they were hoping to hear what they wanted to hear. And so with that, I want, with that background, I want to give you uh, just a couple verses here, and then we're going to kind of uh, explore those this morning. Matthew chapter 19, if you can turn there with me, and I love to hear those pages turn. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the back you can uh, follow along. I'll actually start in verse 1, just give you a little context, um, and then it'll show here at verse 3 on the screen. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Isn't that awesome? Wherever God went, he was healing, he was touching, he was, he was uh, caring for people. Now some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And now with the background that we just talked about, that's why there's this, this, this controversy about marriage even in the first century. And Jesus answered, Haven't you read that the, in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, in those few verses there, we get a picture of what marriage is intended to be. What we see is at the beginning. That's how Jesus starts. He takes it all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. He goes all the way back and he says, Then the Creator, and by the way, he's talking about himself, right? He was there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in perfect unity at creation time. Male and female were created. I believe that even today, in 2016, if Jesus was asked that question, he would say, male and female created, the two become one. I believe in 2095, when I am 120 years old, Lord willing, it'll still be the same, the two will become one. The answer that Jesus gave in regards to marriage is still the same. It fits today. Now, by the way, I just want to pause here for a moment. When Jesus answers questions, he answers them really good, doesn't he? But he always answers them with a lot of grace. And today, as I continue to move forward, I've studied a lot of different material this week and really for the last couple weeks in regards to marriage. And what we're about to say, some will kind of uh, make a fist and say um, they're, they're, uh, they're haters or they are rigid and they don't understand our culture. 
And what I want to say is that today, I believe what we're going to talk about is a biblical approach to what marriage is. And we want it to come across with a whole lot of grace, just like Jesus would have answered any question. And with that, there's a pastor in the South, his name is Perry Noble, that takes this verse, and what he does, and this is where we can go ahead and put up that first illustration. Oh, it's already up there. Oh, no problem. And uh, what he does is uh, he creates this box and he puts male and female, according to the, the verse here in Matthew 19 and also in Genesis 2. He says, husband and wife, that is what constitutes a marriage. Okay? He puts marriage in a box. And he puts Jesus' thoughts into a box. And this box represents marriage. Now, let's pause here for a second. We, a lot of us, and including myself, probably me more than anybody, we don't like being put in a box, do we? We're always asking, how can we get out of the box? Or don't box me in. Or I want it my way. Or uh, I want what's good for me. Or I don't want to be trapped. That's kind of human nature, and I get that. And because we don't want to be in a box, what happens is we try to take shots at what God created. We think we have a better way. We think we can bend the rules. And I understand this, uh, again, more than a lot of uh, others that are here. We may try to color outside of the lines of what God has intended. And the problem is this. This is the big, a big takeaway. When we live outside of the box, there are consequences. It's painful. It causes trouble in our lives. And so you say, well, what kind of holes do, we, do people shoot inside of this box or to kind of create this idea? And that's where we can go to the next slide. Oh, yeah, you're ahead of me. Man, it's okay. going. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we'll get it second service. And so there's some holes shot into this idea of marriage. You say, well, what kind of holes are shot at marriage? And the first one is pre-marriage sex. It's out of the box. It's not what God intended. Some will say, oh, it's not a big deal, or everybody's doing it. It's just the way it is. Uh, and I would say, no, according to Scripture, marriage and sex is intended within the bounds of marriage. And the trouble is, in this particular case, is that premarriage sex causes all kinds of pain and grief. Unwanted pregnancies, to, to name one. Emotional consideration, uh, connections. Um, how many have ever heard the, the illustration that anytime you give yourself in, uh, in a sexual relationship, it's like putting a piece of duct tape on your life, and then when it's removed, it leaves a part of you behind. It leaves a residue. You give a part of yourself. And so it's a shot that a lot of people in our culture are taking at marriage. Another shot at, or another hole in marriage is this idea of living together. Uh, some say, well, we're going to just live together to save money. Or it's better on our taxes. Or we're just going to try this thing out, going to do a test run. Or some people call it having friends with benefits. And, uh, and that's messed up in my mind. But again, it's outside of the box from what God 
intended. And it causes pain and it causes trouble in our lives. I want to pause again here for a moment. I want you to hear love and caring and uh, from a Heavenly Father's perspective that uh, it, it would be easier for me to say, ah, just do whatever you want. I get, do you understand? But listen, according to Scripture, marriage and the idea of living together would be out of the box. It's not God's plan. Another shot at marriage are affairs. People will justify things in their mind. They'll figure out a way to, to say, oh, it's okay, or I'm okay with it. It could be a physical affair and uh, something on the side um, that is active, or it could be an emotional affair. And, uh, and people would say, well, I don't, I've never touched her, but listen, in your mind, your, your mind has gone there, and it is absolutely dangerous. And I would say it's wrong. It's wrong, and it will hurt you. Affairs of any kind, uh, people take shots at marriage and try to figure out a way to make that work. Another shot is polygamy, and this is something probably a few years back was probably more of an issue than, than now, but uh, passing laws to allow for several wives, and I could see it coming back uh, these, this day and age. And again, if it's not what Jesus said, it is wrong, right? It's not God's plan. And by the way, one is enough. Amen? <laughs> yeah, right? And, uh, and uh, anyway, uh, but I want to talk about one more that is a hot topic today, and some of you probably can figure where I'm going. Same-sex marriage. It does not fit in the box of what God intended. And again, I want to say that with a lot of love. Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today and as he is forever. And I believe if he was here today, he would give the same illustration. Husband and wife, male and female, constitutes marriage, period. Now, I know some homosexual people that, uh, that live a homosexual lifestyle and I love them, and I do not want anyone to uh, ever hear any kind of hate speech out of me, uh, but can we just call sin, sin? And let me just challenge you with this thought. Uh, one pastor that I was listening to this week, uh, he talked about, uh, he said, he was kind of talking about homosexuality in particular, and he said, what's crazy is people within the church at times, they will tolerate some sin, and then they'll have a pet peeve about another one in regards to homosexuality. And he said, you could be sitting in a connection group, what we call connection group, he said a small group, and there could be a homosexual couple, and it may infuriate you, but when you find out that another man or a woman are caught up in pornography, it may not bug you quite as much, because maybe it's something you've struggled with or, or something like that. And the reality he, this guy was talking about, he says, we cannot become comfortable with our own sin and point fingers at others. And in regards to homosexuality, sin is sin. And we've got to come back to what the Bible says. And again, 
there are a lot of holes being shot at marriage, and same-sex marriage certainly is one that we are facing today. And it, it's the new fad, and in a few years it may be something different, but for today it's one that is certainly on our mind. And it's common, and it's accepted, and we say, oh, you are just got to be creative in your thinking, or we can find a way to justify it, or condone it, or allow for it. And I would say, as a church, we have got to stand strong in these things, because when we step outside of the box of what God calls marriage, it will result in pain and turmoil and trouble and all kinds of consequences. You tracking with me? Okay. So last week, I talked a little bit about uh, my marriage. Uh, we were celebrating 20 years just recently, and how we have struggled a bit over the years, and uh, how we've come a long way, and I'm so grateful. And the reason we've come a long way, and now you can put up the next slide, <laughs> is because of grace. Boom. How about that? Yeah. I'm just playing. I'm sorry. And uh, we're, I'm going to be in trouble after this. I, I know. <laughs> I just know it. But anyway, but it's because of grace, and that is the honest truth. Uh, the God's grace has been seen in our lives. Today, I have been married 7,324 days. I looked it up. Pretty cool. A lot of days. And I would say it gets better and better as time goes. Let me give you a quick, quick example. We just celebrated 20 years a couple weeks ago in Chicago. We did not have one fight the entire time we were there. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> that wasn't the case on our honeymoon, let me just tell you. And I'm going to talk about this in a second. Um, within the first couple days, we were fighting <laughs> in the Bahamas. And, uh, and I remember, I'm thinking, what have we done? Have we made a mistake? And, but 20 years later, almost pure bliss. All right, so thank the Lord for that. But the truth be told, this is, this is where I want to kind of bring it. There have been times where Jessica and I both have wanted to leave the box, to step outside of the box for one reason or another. There have been times that we have been selfish or we've made mistakes, where we've had opportunities to walk away We've actually both, at one time or another, threatened each other, saying, hey, we're done. It's been a long time. Kids, don't worry. <laughs> but uh, but the, the reality is, is we've been there. There's a question that may emerge in some people's minds, and I'm not saying I've thought this, but you may have. Have you ever thought you could have done better with someone else? No, 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 it doesn't fit in the box, right? But maybe you've had those thoughts. And again, I am grateful today for God's grace, for his help, for his strength. And in tough times, and when I've been selfish, or when Jessica has, or when there's been straight-up sin issues uh, within our marriage, grace has kept us in the box. I want to pause here for a second because some of you have stepped outside of the box. And I just want to say that God's grace is big enough for you as well. God's grace is here for you today. You have a shot to get it back. You have a shot to redo. And I believe that God's grace is amazing. And I also want you to know that we love you and God loves you no matter what you've done or what has happened in your life. Isn't that the truth? 
but God is into boxes. I know it. The second shape that God might be into is triangles. And don't put it up yet. Wait. (laughs) Is triangles. God is into triangles, and you may have seen what I'm about to show you, but we're going to wait just a second. Uh, I remember seeing this in pre-marriage counseling. Uh, It's one of the things Phil and Lisa DeMusto kind of showed us uh, in our pre-marriage counseling. This week in my study, uh, I had three different uh, pastors, ministers, uh, marriage gurus, I would call them, uh, all in different ways mentioned the triangle I'm about to share with you. James McDonald, Dan Seaborn, and Gary Chapman, all, it's in my study this week, all mentioned this triangle. And they use this illustration, and it's based off of Matthew 19. Now, before we see the triangle, I want to read what we read just a minute ago. Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. That's based off of Genesis 2, 24. Now, let's go ahead and show this triangle. It's going to blow your mind. You've probably seen it before. The two will become one flesh from this day forward. That's certainly in commitment. It's certainly within the sexual relationship. The two become one. And what this triangle represents is a husband and a wife pursuing God in their lives. They leave their mom and their dad so that they can get closer to God, not to each other. But the closer they get to God, the closer they will get together. The idea is you grow towards God first. Now, I'll be real honest, in, my, in our relationship, Jessica and I, I believe that this has been our story. The reason we've made it 20 years, and I would say have a very healthy marriage today, is because it started off with this priority. I remember praying as a young man, God, I don't want anything but you. I want God what's best, and I want what's only your will for my life. And I remember meeting Jessica and her thinking the same. When we were dating, we wrote letters back and forth. Jessica was in South Florida, and I was in Michigan in high school. She was a college student. How cool is that? And we wrote letters back and forth literally two, three, four times a week. And I've looked back at those letters over the years, and inside those letters is a pursuit Two people pursuing God. It's very clear, very apparent. My kids have gone through those. There's scripture. There's prayers for each other saying, God, we want what's best. And it was because of that. And I would say that I married a godly woman. Jessica is an incredible, incredible woman. She takes her walk with the Lord so seriously. And because of that, we have a healthy marriage. Now, the problem is, is that there are a lot of families or a lot of marriages that don't pursue God with that kind of passion. Instead, let's go to the next slide. What happens is a lot of marriages live in that bottom realm and they try to meet each other's needs. They try to do things for each other to meet their needs. They try to fix their marriages on that bottom rung, so to speak. They try to meet each other's needs, and it may work for a while. 
In pre-marriage, before they're married, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of dedication. There's a lot of blinders on, could we say. There may be red flags on the side, but it's all green lights in a lot of ways. And it works pretty good for a while. A husband going over to meet a wife's needs, or a wife going over to a husband to meet his needs. For us, it worked about two days being married. And like I said, our first fight, right? But what happens is one day you wake up and one or both of the parties say, look, I love you, but I'm not going all the way to meet your needs anymore. And what they used to go 100%, now they go three-fourths of the way or half of the way or a quarter of the way. And then one day what happens is they say, we have irreconcilable differences. You think? Because they're different. They cannot meet each other's needs. That's what we talked about last week. They, they don't have it inside of them to meet the other spouse's needs. So one day they say, well, that's it. Or I cannot do it anymore. And they're absolutely correct. They can't do it. But God can. And if we can get a picture of a husband and a wife pursuing God, getting closer to God, how many know and how many have experienced that God is the reconciler? He's the one that can make it work. You say, well, how do you work it out? It's by laying your life down, dying to yourself, putting God first, putting God first. And then beyond that, you can glean from wherever you see fit. There is no shortage of resources when it comes to marriage. There are resources. Just this week on the radio alone, I heard Dan Seaborn with his little um, talks, uh, minute talks. James McDonald uh, this week was uh, in a little clip. I heard him talking about marriage. Jay, or, uh, Gary Chapman was on, I think on Friday, uh, on Focus on the Family. But that's just on the radio. How many know the book of Proverbs alone is a resource for marriages of how to make a marriage work? Through the pr power of preaching, uh, you can uh, glean, even from this morning, saying, hey, how can we do this? And we've got to feed it. We need to continue to keep on learning. We need to resource ourselves, and we need to do it because each of us, in our marriages, uh, for those that are married or those that have a thought to be married, we are building something. We're building something, and someday we will have to have an account for what we've built. What I like about the triangle and the box is something that Dan Seaborn did. He put those together and said, what is the shape of your marriage? Let's go to the next slide. And we see a home. You put those together, and I think it's brilliant. We need to ask ourselves, what is the shape of our marriage? Or what are your thoughts on marriage? If you're not married, or maybe you've been married, and you need to learn for, from wherever you can that it starts with the Lord in either case. The box represents God's idea, Jesus, his words about marriage. The triangle represents a pursuit of God. And as you do, you get closer and closer. And then beyond that, you can learn from almost anything. This week in the, on Facebook, uh, because marriage has been certainly on my, on my thoughts, uh, something came across, and maybe you've, you saw this, but there was a, an, an idea 
of a guy that is a writer. His name is Richard Paul Evans. Uh, and the title of his short article was Husband Breaks Down Crying in the Shower. <laughs> when he lies in bed by his wife, it suddenly hits him. And it caught my attention. So I said, all right, well, let's read it. And he goes on to tell a story about this guy, Rick, and his wife, Carrie, how they struggled. And it says, looking back, I'm not sure exactly what initially drew us together, but our personalities didn't quite match up. And the longer we were married, the more extreme our differences seemed. Encountering fame and fortune didn't make our marriage any easier. In fact, it exasperated our problems. The tension between us got so bad that going out on book tours became a relief, though it seems uh, we always paid for it on re-entry. He goes on to say that he was on a book tour uh, when things really came to a head. He had just uh, had a big fight on the phone and Carrie had hung up on him. And he was all alone, frustrated, angry, and he had reached his limit. And that is when he turned, <clears throat> it says, turned to God. And then he says, or turned on God. He says, I don't know what you would call it, if it was prayer or what, but maybe shouting at God isn't prayer. But it's whatever, it's what, but whatever I was engaged in, I'll never forget, he says. He says he was standing in the shower in Atlanta in the Ritz-Carlton yelling at God that marriage was wrong and he couldn't do it anymore. And as much as he hated the idea of divorce, the pain of being together was too much. He says, I was so confused. I couldn't figure out why marriage with Carrie was so hard. Deep down, he knew that Carrie was a good person and I was a good person. So why couldn't we get along? Why had I married someone so different than me? Why wouldn't she change? And that's a key. And in the depths of despair, it has this, this moment. He hears the Lord put this impression on his life that says, look, you cannot change her, Rick. You can only change yourself. He spent that night and the next day on his flight back, praying, asking God for some insight. And that night, as they laid in bed, inches from each other, yet miles apart, he says, an inspiration came. He knew what he had to do. And maybe you read this this week. He says the next morning, he rolled over in bed next to Carrie and asked, how can I make your day better? Carrie looked at me angrily, he says, what? How can I make your day better? You can't, she said. Why are you asking that? Because I mean it, he said. I just want to know what I can do to make your day better. So she looked at me cynically. You want to do something? Go clean the kitchen. Can you imagine? I, I could see that happening. She likely expected me to get mad, and he goes on. Instead, I just nodded and said, okay. I got up and I cleaned the kitchen. The next day, I asked the same thing. What can I do to make your day better? Her eyebrows narrowed. <laughs> Clean the garage. I took a deep breath. I had already had a busy day, and I knew she had made the request in spite. I was tempted to blow up at her. Instead, I said, okay, and I got up, and for the next two hours, I cleaned the garage. Carrie wasn't sure what to think. The next morning came. What can I do to make your day better? Nothing, she said. You can't do anything. Please stop saying that. I'm sorry, I said, but I can't. I made a commitment to myself. 
What can I do to make your day better? Why are you doing this? Because I care about you, I said. And then he goes on to tell, and I can't read the rest of it just for time's sake, that her heart began to break. And because he served her for two weeks straight, and then a month straight, he asked her this question. He says their marriage is not perfect. It didn't solve all their problems. It, didn't, it wasn't like they never fought again. But what it did, it brought them back to the point of what can God do in the mix. And see, God this morning, I believe, he cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares about your future. He cares about your marriage or your future marriage. He cares about the marriage that you've left. He cares about us. And he wants to pour grace into every situation. I believe that. And I believe he can give God ideas, just like he did for this writer, Rick. How can I make your day better? And it may not be that phrase. It could be something else for you. But it's God moving in our lives. How many want God to move in our lives no matter what? Amen. 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 And so if that's the case, you cannot be on autopilot. You don't just put your life on cruise control. When marriage is the toughest for those that are married, it should drive us to our knees. And as we drive to our knees, we are pursuing God and it will bring us closer together. You need to focus on what God wants you to focus on. I saw another illustration this week that marriage is like a tree. And sometimes people get focused on the few bad leaves, the ones that are dried out, that are, that are broken off and that are drying. And uh, instead of focusing on the bad leaves that will lead to despair or misery, you need to prune those out and focus on the rest of what God has created. Because in our marriages, and this goes for anyone that's married here, God has put something beautiful together. And with that, I just want to say that God, He can meet you. This morning, He can meet you right where you are. And I know that He wants to do that. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you, God, for your word and these powerful illustrations, some that are old, some that are new to me, maybe new to people here or maybe old. In any circumstance, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. And Lord, that we would ask the question, all of us, Lord, what are you saying in this moment? How is this message challenging me? Is it challenging me for my future? Or is it challenging me for today? But regardless, God, we declare together that we need you. We need you to move in our lives. We want your direction. We want your plan, your perfect will in our lives. And so, God, we just call out to you this morning. We're asking for your help. Help us, Lord, right where we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand this morning, and I'm going to ask all your eyes on me just for a second. No one moving around this morning. If you're here today, and you, as you hear a message on marriage, and how Christ needs to be the center of that, 
and you're saying, man, Christ is not the center of my life. If you're here today and you need to restore the relationship that you may once have had with Jesus, or maybe you need a relationship with Jesus, period, we want to pray for you. And so this morning, if, with your eyes open, just before the Lord and before all of these witnesses, if you're here today, say, man, I need Jesus. I need a relationship with the Lord. If there's anyone here, would you just slip up your hand? We want to pray for you. We want to love you. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, couple in the back. Anyone else? Say, man, that's where I am today. I need the Lord. We got three younger people here this morning that have responded. Anyone else just before we move on? Don't want to hustle through unnecessarily. Listen, God, he, wa- he loves you very much. He cares for you. He knows right where you are, and He can save you. He can redeem you. He can take your past, and He, he, he says he, he takes it as far as the east as from the west. It's a beautiful picture. So this morning, could we just pray for these three? And uh, let's just ask the Lord before we move on that He would help in these circumstances, that He would fill each of their lives. Lord, I pray that You would do a mighty work of salvation. That as these young people are responding to you this morning, surrendering their lives, saying, God, I do not want to be in control any longer, but Lord, I give my life to you. God, I pray that you just fill them to overflowing. God, that you would meet them right where they are. And God, I pray, I pray, God, that you would do a supernatural work of salvation in their lives and put their feet on the right ground. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen.